You have rushed into 2.1, a Netrunner Reboot Project podcast. Episode 32, Huge Amounts of Energy. Hey, this is Remy. The title card for this week's episode is Geothermal Fracking, the Wayland 4-2 agenda that appeared in opening moves that allowed you to place two agenda counters on it when you score it, and then each agenda counter, along with a click, gives you nine credits, used to be seven, and a bad publicity. The flavor text on it says, Pumping water into deep-sea thermal vents produced huge amounts of energy, a profitable side effect. Oh, that sounds that sounds very uh, ominous and grim. Anyway, so that card is part of a major Wayland archetype that I'm going to be covering through the bulk of this episode. It's uh, known as super modernism, and we're going to get into a lot of nuts and bolts. I don't know how long, again, I don't know how long this episode is going to be as I stand here, but I've got a lot of previous ground to cover. However, there are a couple of more current details that I'd like to get to first, so let's do that. Breaking news. Style and slander. Well, even though I've just been going through previews for just the last couple of weeks, and I do have one more set of previews to do, the third booster for Reboot has been released as of January 17th, Style and Slander, focusing primarily on NBN and Criminal, but with something new for everybody. I'll have a link in the show notes to where you can look at all of the available cards and the Nice artwork that has been provided. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sure that even uh, the big boy and cleric and everybody else would say this is unfortunate that AI is what's being used for the artwork, but this project is, um, well, it's not exactly rolling in money. So you do what you have to do to get some decent looking stuff. It's been about six months since the second booster came out, and that one came about nine months after the first. Six months is what the big boy has stated is his target between releasing boosters. This one has 30 cards, just like the other two. But, as I said, we still have a few more cards to preview. Precognition. Well, it's not even more like recognition. That's just recognition. Even more, style and slander spoils... Uh, I guess in this case, not spoilers, but reveals. We have one, two, three, four, five, six remaining criminal cards, seven. So let's get through them. The identity is Dionysus Bagbiter, Lux Larcenist, the uh, 4515 criminal identity with one link. You cannot install jobs or connections. Whenever you access cards from HQ or R&D, access one additional card. 
Whenever you steal an agenda, lose all credits in your credit pool. So that's an interesting mix of significant benefits. Basically, he's got an HQ interface and an R&D interface installed from the jump. However, some significant drawbacks, because jobs and connections would include all, all sorts of things, even as basic as Armitage code busting is not available. And then that losing all credits, that's obviously its own kind of problem. But let's see how the new tools he's given will help him with this. There are three new criminal breakers. The first is Gaemon, G-E-M-O-N, Gaemon, a fractor with an install cost of six, a strength of one. It is three influence. All of these are. For zero credits, break a barrier subroutine. For two credits, add three strength. So it starts at one, can jump to four to seven. When a successful run in which you used this card to break a sub ends, lose two credits. So that's interesting, interesting and weird drawback. Uh, again, I'm not going to make a lot of commenting on this. If you want to see a lot of conversation about these cards and how you would use them and how they interact, I'm going to point you again to the Reboot Discord server, particularly the Booster Card and Spoilers channel. That's where all of the conversation was around these. You're going, going back to January 14th of 2024 is the date that you'll be looking for. Lamis, L-A-M-I-S, Lamis is the criminal killer with an install cost of two, also a strength of one, also three influence. Here for one credit, you can break up to two sentry subroutines and one credit for plus one strength. But again, that drawback of losing two at the end of a successful run, if you used this card. And then the decoder is Maron, M-A-R-O-N, Maron, an install cost of three, a strength of two, the same three influence, the same lose two credits drawback. For one credit, you can break one code gate subroutine, and for one credit, also get two strength. The criminal console that Dionysus gets is Elysium. You would install cost of three, three influence. It gives you two memory units and X recurring credits that you can use during runs. Ah, see, so that's useful because he doesn't have to worry about losing those credits. X is half of your agenda points rounded down. So in the early game, obviously that's none. But if you're sitting on six points, then that's three recurring credits. Stolen Contacts is an event for criminal with a cost of one, one just one influence. And here is a sort of interesting, well, it's interesting, it's not sort of interesting. It's, it's definitely sort of new, uh, different function that you haven't seen on a Netrunner card before, at least I haven't. Create three copies of EasyMark and add them to your grip. If a created card would be moved to your stack or heap, instead remove it from the game. So, yeah, you spend one and then now you have three copies of Easy Mark in your hand. Easy Mark is obviously super great, costs you a click, gets you three credits, but um, you don't have to worry about factoring in a click to draw it. You don't even have to include it in your deck, although you could include three copies in your deck, and you could include three copies of this in your deck, and then you need 12 copies of Easy Mark. But uh, anyway, 
I'm not going to worry about the functional equivalent there. It's, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting flavor, though. I like that. Stolen Contacts, the artwork shows basically a, a pad, I guess, with a bunch of faces on it. And the idea is that you have lots of easy marks that you're going to be able to get money out of. And the final new criminal card is ZDNet Access, a virtual resource with an install cost of two, two influence. Place 15 credits on it when you install it, and when it's empty, you trash it. If you make a successful run on a central, you can click and take three credits from it, but you can only do that once per turn. There are your new criminal cards, and that covers all 30 cards from Style and Slander. Go make a deck with it. Or don't. You know, I'm not here to tell you what to do. The Toolbox. Super Modernism. Well, I'm going to have multiple segments here just to make it a little bit easier to navigate. But really, from here to the end of the episode, the focus is on this deck. It is an archetype. And let me just read what the archetype is from Anchor, the Android Netrunner Comprehensive Unofficial Rules. Supermodernism is a deck archetype within Wayland that attempts to rush agendas while also threatening the runner with scorched earth. The archetype is often associated with and credited to Martin Presley and David Sutcliffe. It is characterized by burst economy, like hedge fund, restructure, and beanstalk royalties, economy agendas, like hostile takeover and geothermal fracking, cheap and the run ice, like ice wall, quandary, and chimera, program destruction, like grim, archer, and power shutdown, threat through sea scorch combo, that's SEA source and scorched earth. That's what Anker had to say about it. And we haven't covered some of those cards, but uh, they're fairly self-explanatory, I suppose. It's right there, grouped with the other ones. Noteworthy about this supermodernism archetype is that it doesn't tend to run Jackson Howard. So I thought it made a nice flip from last week's episode where I was talking all about Jackson Howard. And I said there was one... Uh, reboot pre-constructed deck that doesn't run it, it's this one. Now, there's no Jackson Howard here because it's so intending to be so fast. The one reboot pre-con is Yolo Grendel. So it doesn't use the building a better world identity that I'm going to be talking about today. And there are some other cards that come later in the pool that serve better functions to the deck that I'll be talking about. But what's nice is that this deck first made its appearance in the summer of 2013, actually right after Creation and Control was released. And then it was updated significantly with opening moves, which of course is exactly where we are in the card pool. I'm going to share some of the comments that were made by the original advocate of the deck, as mentioned here, Martin Presley, and also by, who was highlighted by David Sutcliffe, and just a lot of nice explanation, some back and forth. I'm really just covering Board Game Geek threads and a blog post here. Of course, I'll include all of the links in the show notes if you'd rather 
read it for yourself, then listen to me talk about it. I'm not going to cover every little detail out of those forum posts. But while I'm here in the toolbox section, let me share from the Big Boys Archetypes document, which I'll also link in the show notes. He mentions there that there, each corporation has basically three axes that it functions on. There's the scoring method, the economy, and the speed. So for supermodernism, or Yolo Grendel, the pre-con version, I don't know why I can never think of the word pre-con when I start trying to speak there. There are, here are the three axes that it operates on. The scoring method is tag trace pressure. Using either SEA source or mid-season replacements alongside tag punishment to punish the runner when they can test your scoring server without enough leftover credits. So as we will see, it's SEA source and, source and scorched earth that is the tag pressure. Um, not trace in this case because it's not mid-seasons, but I guess there's a trace in C source, but there's a tag trace pressure. Uh, economy is operations. Generate money quickly, fast and reliable, but particularly vulnerable to account siphon and other denial tools and can dry up in a long game. And so that pairs very nicely with the speed of the deck, which is rush. Threaten scores very early. Use gear check ice to keep the runner at bay while you sprint to the finish line. So again, the idea is to score quickly. And if the runner tries to come at you, hit them with scorched earth. It's a potent combination, as we will see going through the various articles and comments going forward. Experiential Data, Part 1. This is the blog post, the first introduction. The name of the article was Deck, Building a Better World, Supermodernism, Tournament Winter, Winner, rather, Santa Clara. It's from August 11th, 2013, just before Gen Con of that year. Again, the author is Martin Presley, whose board game geek username is Hoobajou, H-O-O-B-A-J-O-O. Starting off the thread, he says, The TO asked if I could post my winning deck, so here is the corporate half of it. This deck is centered around rushing agendas, a style I like to call advance fast by scoring things quickly before the runner has all three breakers out. It does this without sacrificing scorched earth viability. Flatline is actually how I won three of my games. But agenda rushing is the primary focus. Oftentimes, this will pressure the runner into making an error, which you can then murder him for. Special note to the high number of one-point agendas, the singleton of government contracts, snare, and anonymous tip. The one-point agendas all play a vital role, with false lead able to often secure a tag for scorched earth, while hostile turnovers, or rather hostile takeovers, hostile turnovers is a bad breakfast, I suppose, while hostile turn hey, takeovers turn Atlas tokens into waiting agenda points. I don't need to rely on the economic boost from government contracts, but I love having a one three-pointer to search for with Atlas. There are times when you see a window where the runner cannot get through to your remote next turn, especially if you've scored a false lead already or landed an archer. Snare is critical anti-criminal technology, opens up a Plascrete user for a two-scorched-earth kill, 
and will supply the game-winning tag more often than you'd believe, with false lead again being a huge help here. And anonymous tip exists to balance out some of the swings of this deck. You need a certain amount of ice, economy, and agendas to win, and anonymous tip helps you tremendously in getting what you don't have enough of. Here is the list. Again, this is version one of the list. This is me talking again. This is version one of the list. We'll cover version two of the list, the opening moves version, in the next segment. And then uh, there is actually a version three that came later. There's a version that has Grendel, which is an identity that we don't have yet, and so on. So version one has 13 agendas. As mentioned, one, government contracts, two, corporate war, three, project atlas, three, hostile takeover, three, false lead, one, posted bounty. So I'm going to make this comment here and just once. Posted bounty was a 3-1 in the original card pool. And in reboot, it's a 3-2. So that makes it a much more desirable agenda than it would have been in this original version of the game. So that's why there's only one. The operations are two anonymous tip from NBN, three green level clearance from Haas Bioroid, and one SEA source from N, uh, NBN. Also three beanstalk royalties, three hedge fund, and three scorched earth. So you see your burst economy there and your beanstalk, green level clearance, and hedge fund, each of which with the basic Wayland ID also gives you an extra credit. The assets are just three snare from Jinteki. And the ice are three archer, two caduceus, three chimera, three enigma, three ice wall, two shadow, and two Eli 1.0 from HB. Here's his concluding comment from the initial post. I'm very satisfied with this deck, with the exception of chimera. It seems AI decks are on the rise, and there are many more options to install programs mid-run. While it didn't underperform in any game, per se, it was not performing better than any other cheap ETR ice. I will likely replace it with two Wall of Static, two Data Pike, and ditching Shadow to make room for that and a third Caduceus, or go three Shadow and ditch Caduceus. Not sure yet. Both have advantages. And so we see, actually, throughout the thread... Uh, it, which runs for a couple of months, he is making different suggestions and tweaks and responding, doing really a lot of responses to people's questions and comments and observations and other versions uh, before starting the second thread for version two, which again is the next segment. Here I'm going to now present a few of the questions that people asked about piloting and about uh, deck choices and his response helps us to get a better idea of how this deck works. First, from Stephen Tu, username Tuism, he says, The agenda density is surprising, given the amount of R&D hate there is right, out, right now out there. Snare balances it out, I guess. Doesn't Andy plus fixed-strength breakers walk all over this set? Specifically, doesn't Enigma get eaten by Yogg too often? Sure, you've spent three creds and the runner five, six in reboot, but still, you want your eyes to do more than be a one-time thing, not to mention future dead draws of Enigma. Also, she's popular and includes Plascrete and Link. 
Martin's response, snare, plus the fact that there are no trashable cards, somewhat balances things. Keep in mind, the average value of an R&D access is the same no matter the agenda spread. It's most important to have agendas that are great cards, rather than having a smaller number of agendas with suboptimal effects. Honestly, a good criminal is just a bad matchup no matter what, though I feel Snare does a lot to minimize that disadvantage. The point of having Enigma is just to force them to play Yogg, or whatever decoder, as well as leverage an early Snare causing the discard of a decoder. I've easily won games solely because I killed X type of breaker with net damage, and their backup copy wasn't forthcoming. Still, Andy has some setup time, especially if using Magnum Opus, so you can use that window to hopefully get some rush on. Link is largely irrelevant to anything but Caduceus, as this deck is very trace light. User Astrolad has a couple of questions. First, what's meant by this? While hostile takeovers turn Atlas tokens into waiting agenda points. Don't play Wayland, so I'm not sure what that means. You're using money from hostile takeover to later over-advance an Atlas? How critical is it to over-advance an Atlas? Martin's response, Over-advancing Atlas is nearly essential, unless you just need to get it out of HQ immediately, or you already have two Atlas tokens ready. Atlas is probably the best agenda in the game, and using it to fetch hostile takeovers or occasionally larger agendas is a big, big part of that. Astrolad again. So basically, do you want to score something like false lead and ideally Atlas early and then do takeover late when the bad pub hurts much less? Does anyone ever like to score bad pub early? Martin says, you can score them in any order. The bad pub is worse to get early but the extra money helps more when you're trying to rush, so you just kind of score them when you get them. I will wait to atlas them up until I don't need the search to support a potential scorched earth kill, or I have five agenda points and the hostile takeovers will seal the game. Ultimately, it's more important to score agendas early than try to force a certain order. User Pyjam says, if you want some early stoppers to score your agenda behind, I don't understand why you chose Eli over Wall of Static or Bastion. Also, I'll choose Viper over Enigma because Viper is a better stopper than Eli, and it isn't pass for free with Yogg. Sometimes Andromeda lacks funds, but not clicks. For this reason, I think Viper is better than Eli. Martin's response. Viper can be beaten by means other than a breaker which means it makes the server it's protecting more vulnerable. The deck is designed to give the runner no option but to hunt and install breakers, which many runners don't want to do right away, either to face-check more or to set up their rig. Plus, Andromeda is already my worst matchup. Giving more leverage to her one link isn't going to help. It is important to have at least one ice with Trace to dupe the runner into spending money and time getting Link when those cards won't help them break into my remote. Any time spent not getting breakers is good news for Wayland. Eli is amazing as either central defense or second on the remote. Double-click through Eli only to get stopped by a Chimera means the runner can't install a breaker and run again. If they don't click through, 
It's a massive wall of static. I do mostly use Eli as a central server protector, though. User SunnyDK said, Just how fast do you begin scoring agendas? Would you be so bold to install and advance an agenda in a remote server with just one ice, perhaps in turn two? If I try shenanigans like that, even in a remote with two ice protecting, I'll often face a test run, fem, inside job, Yagasaurus and tinkering, or a combination of everything. I've tried this sort of deck, but I can't get to seven agenda points before the runner has a rig and economy to run everything I put in a remote. I can try to install a snare, but the runner will most likely shrug it off. And then I'm out of steam, and it's just a matter of time before I lose. It's especially bad against Parasite Worm Data Sucker, where all my ice goes bye-bye. With no means to fast advance, and no tricks to stun the runner, I can't score anything than hostile takeover. Martin's response. Turn two or three is normal with a good hand. It depends on the runner. If I feel I need to ice HQ and whether they played magnum opus. It's true even with two ice, a sufficient number of shenanigans can get through it. But hey, they just use two or three of their trick cards to break a normally unbreakable server. Just put a new agenda down next turn. If I can, I often put a one-point agenda down first, so if they have all those tricks, they burn them grabbing something small. In one game, though, I did have my one government contract stolen because it was behind one ice, but it really was the best window to push it through, and the runner had to lose Crypsis for it. I stand by that being the right play, though I would have much rather it been another agenda. Anonymous tip helps a lot with the deck speed, especially when you're in your window of opportunity and you don't have enough agendas. Project Atlas can also be a huge help if scored early. Just landed an archer and killed their decoder and magnum opus? Go grab government contracts or corporate war. You can also advance agendas more than you need to, technically, if you're confident it'll go through, as that gives you time to install another one next turn. That is, install Corporate War Advance Advance. Next turn, Advance Advance and Score Install False Lead. Following turn, Advance 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 and Score. You just got three points in as many turns when it would have taken four if you minimally advanced Corporate War at the start. As to Ice Destruction, it typically gets used by Anarchs on Centrals. An Archer is an incredibly strong tool in that matchup. Against criminals using it, it is very dangerous, but takes longer. A smart virus wipe can make all the difference here. It is good, though, and one reason I'm getting rid of Chimera. User Fluff the Sheep says, What happens if runners consistently snare check, remote, R&D, HQ, on their first or third click, like they should? Does Snare still supply the kill shot then? Is False Lead still good? Did you consider playing Corporate Troubleshooter to wreck people with Archer? In hindsight, could it possibly have worked? Is Eli worth it? Do you, do you put him anywhere other than R&D? Did you ever have Corporate Warfare just sitting in your hand because you couldn't score it with seven credits left? If they never run on Centrals on their fourth click, says Martin, also second with fast, uh, false lead scored, and immediately clear the tag, then Snare is still doing good work. 
Pay attention if they lose a breaker from the damage. That can be a huge window of opportunity. They can also supply a kill through a Plascrete because they're below four cards, and Plascrete users often were tagged already. Even if they aren't, sometimes you will have the means to SEA them and burn them anyway. I used a similar build back in Core Cyber Exodus with Troubleshooter and Roto Turret instead of Eli and Anonymous Tip, but it was more inconsistent and expensive. Remember, your bankroll is purely event-driven, so any money you pay for Troubleshooter is gone forever. It was still good, but I came to the conclusion that nowadays that strategy works better in HB. I'll use Eli as the second ice on my remote, especially if the first one isn't a barrier. Sometimes they click through him only to stop and not have enough clicks for another run, and if they use a breaker or bounce, he's doing the same job as Wall of Static, but better. If I think I can score Corporate War one turn later, but with 7-plus credits remaining, I'll often wait. But if that looks unlikely, I'll try to use the excess, try to use the excess credits and just go to zero. Having a beanstalk in hand, scored government contracts, or Atlas tokens available all make it easier to bounce back, so that will play into the decision as well. Tony M., user T. Morosas, says, One question I had. I know that all corp decks get weaker upon repeat plays once the runner has an idea of the deck composition. Have you found this deck is more prone to this effect than usual? I ask because I've noticed two things while playing it. One, the ice, with the exception of Archer, is all just taxing or stopping. The runner has figured out he can just go nuts running and there is relatively little consequence, i.e., there is no fear to face-checking ice, especially in the early game. And Martin's response, I particularly appreciate, because he says this, So, when I design decks, and I think this is a good rule for anyone to follow, I actually imagine my opponent has my entire deck list in front of him. You don't want any paper tiger threats. You want a deck filled with actual tigers. I don't feel it really suffers because there's little bluffing in this deck. It's mostly about positioning and managing your economy. So, I appreciate that because that's basically the mindset behind the pre-constructed decks and Reboot. This is me talking again. Um, with the pre-con decks, you know what you're facing the moment you see the identity. If you know those decks, you know everything the other person can do. And there is something to be said for, you know, a strong deck is one that can win even when the opponent knows what's in it. Continuing with, continuing with Martin's response, you're right, there is little reason here not to check ice. But the thing to keep in mind is that R&D is surprisingly sturdy early on, with three snares and no other trashable cards. All it needs is a taxing ice, like Eli or Shadow, to make running it unattractive for most of the game. If I had to guess, I bet you're spending too much time trying to lock your centrals when practically every single piece of ETR ice should go on your remote, except maybe one on HQ to snuff account siphons, or the odd sneaky archer. Uh, T. Morosas came back, Tony M. came back with this comment. Second, there seem to be a lot of agendas that need to sit installed with agenda counters on them. Posted bounty needs to be advanced to three and wait for the right moment. 
government contracts wants an IAA, it's install, advance, advance, plus AAA to score it. Project Atlas can be stored, but can be scored by installing then AAA on the next turn, but it really wants to be over advanced. Corporate War needs IAA plus AA. Since the only ambush in the deck is snare, as soon as the runner sees advancements, he knows it's time to run. I've had a hard time scoring anything besides hostile takeover or, forth or false lead because they get stolen as soon as the turn passes with agenda counters on them. Martin's response. First thing you need to do is forget that this is a deck with scorched earth. It is a tempo deck before anything else. It is just that the tempo pressures runners into making mistakes, which can be punished by scorched earth. SE wins a lot of games, don't get me wrong, but it's totally an opportunistic thing. Leave yourself enough credits to do it if it doesn't slow down agenda scoring. Seven is enough to land a kill off of the snare if they don't have Plascrete. But always keep your focus on advancing agendas. Part of the learning curve of this deck is realizing you absolutely want to minimize runs on the remote because you want every piece of ice there to be a surprise. Forcing the runner to jack out and install a breaker after a failed run creates a lot of work compression and will often give you the time you needed to push through those advanced agendas. The speed of this deck really makes those ETRs hurt if they don't have the right breaker, and a lot of your other play should revolve around not incentivizing the runner to progress in his rig. This is why Eli is so amazing. The runner thinks, hey, I can get into R&D if I really want to by clicking, so why install this corroder? Then bam, snare kills it, and your one ice wall on remote is all of a sudden a mile high. Speaking of snare, never ever install it unless you are very confident the runner will go after it and you can get a scorched earth kill off of it. Snares are first and foremost for central defense and secondarily then for killing through plascrete. When in doubt, play it dumb and keep them in your hand. But bottom line is, Use your ice in such a way as to minimize the advantages of installing breakers before you are pushing things through your remote, and that will go a long, long way to helping you maximize this deck, because you need to score those five token agendas to really put yourself in the driver's seat. That's what supermodernism is all about. You don't build a server to last, just one to move through. It doesn't have to be good tomorrow, just good enough today. And then about a week later, Tony M. came back with a couple more questions. One, what do you do once your hand gets to the point when you've green-level clearanced, anonymous tipped into a hand with, say, two scorches, an SEA, and a snare, and say the runner has plascreted up? It seems like 80% of my hand gets bogged down waiting for the runner to make an error. Run on the last click, or second to last with false lead, or pass the turn with three or fewer cards when I have a credit lead. Will you keep these in your hand indefinitely? Or if the runner puts out Plascrete, is it time to change gears and dump the Scorches? 2. Is there a place for Jackson Howard in this deck, for repurposing drawn snares back to R&D defense in order to protect against Maker's Eye medium R&D interface? Or does Jackson's trash ability and need to be installed run counter to what this deck is meant to do? 
Martin says. To answer your first question, basically this is a rare problem. As it only happens later game, when you haven't already cinched the game with five points scored and two atlas counters ready. In that case, the contents of your hand don't matter. That aside, if they have Plascrete up, often they will have already taken some tags, so SEA is first to go in that situation. You never want to toss the scorched earths themselves, unless they have they just have three Plascretes or something crazy. Snare is a bit of a wild card, and if the game is laid on, Plascretes are up and you need to score through one last agenda in the face of a full breaker suite, you can try a never-advanced kind of ploy where you throw down a snare as if it were an agenda, or play a shell game with multiple agendas and snares. This only really works if two, or more, if two more points would win or cinch the game for you, and if not all atlases are accounted for. This is a desperate ploy, and to be honest, it rarely works. But if the game's this far gone, you gotta play for the Hail Mary. Jackson is a weird card. He is slower than Anonymous Tip and can be trashed off of R&D, which is rough. He can, however, recur some awesome cards, Snare, Hedge Fund, even Scorched Earth, which you can then get back instantly with Atlas. Basically, he does the job of Anonymous Tip, evening out statistical variants and draws, worse. But he does a totally new and cool thing to compensate. My gut feeling is he's not right here with a weak R&D defense in terms of ice and no real economic harassment, him getting trashed is too large a liability. But it is complex, and he certainly helps a ton against Imp, so it's very difficult to say definitively. So that's all I'm going to share from the first thread about supermodernism. And just on that last point, it goes toward kind of the reason, well, it's not the reason I am covering it this week, uh, I've been meaning to cover this deck for a few weeks, but it does fit in very nicely since it comes right off of talking about how great Jackson Howard is to talk about a place where he's not necessarily the best pick and the reboot pre-con deck agrees. Experiential Data, Part 2. Here is the second Building a Better World, Supermodernism, V2, from the plugged-in winner San Mateo, from October 28th of 2013. So this is about two and a half months after the first article, well after opening moves, and shortly before Second Thoughts comes out. I'm not going to share quite as much out of this thread, because it very quickly is longer thread, it's actually like 10 pages long, but time-wise, it very quickly runs out of where we are in the current 2.1 card pool. Here is, though, the initial post. Supermodernism V2 hasn't changed too much. Again, this is Martin Presley again. But its effectiveness has been dialed up since opening moves supplied two powerful cards, geothermal fracking and grim. The general play of this deck is a rush deck. You set up a remote quickly, with minimal central defenses, and push agendas through before the runner can assemble their suite. Wayland's agendas are amazing, and once one is scored, it often enables you to score more by using Atlas counters, resing Archer, or just having crazy huge credit stacks. Flatline is largely a secondary consideration, but it is still essential, as the threat of it 
makes runners slow down or risk immediate death. You'll find you rarely kill good players, but it still forces them to sacrifice tempo, and sometimes even the best players will make a fatal mistake. So here's what's been changed from the deck list I ran through on version 1. Uh, there's one fewer agenda, it goes from 13 to 12, as the three geothermal fracking are added in, and what's taken out are t- both corporate war, one of the posted bounty, and one, or the one posted bounty, and one of the false leads, dropping those down to just two. Uh, meanwhile, one S- more SEA source is added in, uh, the snares are the same, and the ice suite has changed quite a bit. Two Caduce- the two Caduceus, the two Eli, and one of the Chimera, down to two, have been removed, and added in are two Bastion, two Wall of Static, and three Grim. Huh, I'm looking at that right now, and that can't be right because the math doesn't work. Five were taken out and seven were added in. Uh, maybe there were two Wall of Static before. All right, well, I don't have time to go. I don't have time to go back and, and look at the, well, I'm going to, let me scroll back up and look at the original list. No, there were Wall of Static in there before. Huh. Well, all right. Sorry, I dropped the ball on that one. But I do know that the Bastion and the Grim are new. Here's his follow-on comment. This deck really flies or falls in the first five or six turns, but because of the interchangeable nature of the Ice Suite, most hands can lead to success, though some take more finesse than others. You need to set up a remote that takes two or three breakers to beat ASAP and score an Atlas or Fracking. Don't be afraid to score Atlas with just one counter, if that means doing it a turn earlier. Often, one extra turn is all the runner needs. False Lead is a powerful and underused card. I was surprised how many good players just forgot it was there, only to foolishly let a government contract slip through their fingers, or fail to remove a tag. I added a second SEA source just the night before the tournament, and it worked well, enabling me to kneecap decks that rely on Cotty Jones or personal contacts by using an undefended R&D as a honeypot for runs. Sadly, it never showed up at the same time as Scorched Earth in my games, but it still did good work. Archer and Grim are a gruesome twosome, making quick work of breakers, especially the AI breakers, which this deck is otherwise weak to. The bad publicity never really factors into things due to it not really having a large effect until the runner has their entire rig built, at which point the deck has probably lost the game anyway. I won my round four game with seven bad publicity, two from Hostile Takeover, Geothermal Fracking, and three Grim, a new personal best. The toughest matchup here is probably a good shaper, with a traditional breaker suite, but there are thankfully few of those. The program searching and recursion means Chimera is a little lackluster, and Archer and Grim are less effective, still very effective. Criminal is also tricky, but with Snare and Scorched to punish early aggression, and a disgusting amount of economy to recover from Siphon, it can give them a fair run for their money. Anarch is an easier time because of their reliance on data suckers and being a bit slower in general, but you still need to be wary of vamp and other shenanigans. Otman decks are also very easy to trump, with Archer and Grimm demanding a high-strength Otman, 
Chimera forcing a zero strength, and everything else being in between. So we have a couple of comments from early on in the thread. The first from Greg Nording, username Nords 3x4. And this is a guy who's going to popularize an archetype later, the, uh, no, the well-known Redcoats deck. He says, looks solid, only one question. Why anonymous tip over Jackson Howard? I guess the advantage of tip is that it's slightly faster, no install, and not trashable from R&D or HQ, but why not get those snares, scorches, or whatever else you need back in your R&D after using them? It's also reusable for drawing many times versus once for tip. Martin says, It's massively faster, isn't trashable, and gives you more time to react to the influx of new cards. Jackson does something really cool, but sacrifices too much in terms of raw speed for this deck, especially, especially since it has no other assets. It's an extremely good card, just not as good as some people make it out to be. And there's a whole long list about debating whether Anonymous Tip or Jackson Howard is actually faster and people going back and forth. Uh, I'm not going to include that here. You can go read it if you want. Couple questions from Corwin David, username DJ Hedgehog. One, would you make any changes to the ice package? I'm assuming no, but I'd be interested to know what changes you would consider. Two, when you say that you go light on centrals, do you mean that you build a tower remote in the meantime? Staying around one ice per central, or are you just letting them in places in hopes they hit a snare? Martin responds to the first question about ice. Not without spending influence. It's really dialed in. One of my big realizations was that Shadow and Caduceus were a waste, as they couldn't be used in a remote and were slowing my game down. Ah, that's the one I missed. He dropped also two Shadows. We added in seven ice, dropped out seven ice, and the Shadows were two of those seven. And second to the question about putting ice on remotes, typically I would like to have one and the run ice to prevent early events like indexing and account siphon, and eventually grim as a second if I have some downtime mid-game. This isn't always possible, and it's a big part of what I mean when I say some hands require finesse. Sometimes the best option is to just work on a remote and let them have one card off of R&D and hope you're not screwed. But hey, if the next four cards were all agendas, you are probably going to lose anyway in those situations. And uh, John Newberg, username Shango2, says, I'm curious about only one government contracts. Doesn't having a 5-3 early in the game really accelerate a win? Is the risk too high, or is there another reason it's only a one-of? Martin says, my approach to agendas is the exact composition doesn't matter, as it doesn't change the average value of random access. What does matter is the quality of the agendas, and a hostile takeover Atlas and fracking all accelerate victory more than an agenda with an ability I rarely use. Keep in mind, Atlas may as well be a 4-3 with the ability to search for hostile takeover. Because you see, it's a 3-2, and then it's a 4-2. Yeah, actually, I'm not sure how that math works. The reason I have just one is mainly to search for with Atlas. There are moments where you can be reasonably sure the runner has no way in next turn, and being able to score three points instead of two, or two instead of one by sacrificing false lead, is big. 
It will be replaced by a single The Cleaners when it comes out, as that has a much more relevant ability. And again, there's much more discussion that falls outside of the purview of the current card pool. It's a 10-page thread. But uh, even though that's the case, let me look at one more article. Archived Memories Raging Bull, the Wayland Supermodernism Deck This article is by David Sutcliffe from his blog, The Satellite Uplink. You may recall that's the blog post that I used, the blog rather, that I used, to discuss sorting ice into the various binary or taxing and the run or, um, no, binary or analog and the run or taxing the different types of ice. Now, this article is from February of 2014, so several months down further down the line. And yet, there aren't really that many differences. There's really just one card in the deck that's diff- that we don't have available to us right now through opening moves. And it's Power Shutdown, which comes in the third pack. It lets you trash X cards from R&D. So, your choice, number of cards. And then the runner has to trash a program or a piece of hardware with a cost of X or less. Idea being that if they don't have many programs or hardware out there, you can target one. So there are two of those in the deck, and a wall of static was added in. And removed were two of the Bastion and one of the Grim. This is the deck um, a little later on. This is Martin Presley's deck that he took. But here, David Sutcliffe is using it a little bit later on, again, a few months later, but he's just copied the exact same deck. And now he's going to talk just about how it, how it plays out, how it works. So I'll just read this article. Supermodernism has some tremendous strengths. It's quick and powerful, bringing to bear some of the best early end-the-run ice, ice wall, chimera, enigma, wall of static and then pushing agendas quickly to get to seven agenda points, using cards like Green Level Clearance and Anonymous Tip to keep up the pace and ensure it's never short of agendas to score. The hard ETR ice is supported by the threat of program destruction from Archer and Grimm, bullying the runner into being cautious about running at unresed ice unless they're really ready to tangle with a big destroyer. As well as being quick and powerful, the deck is also dangerous, with ten cards dedicated to putting an unwary runner into the ground. Snare, SEA Source, False Lead, Scorched Earth. The final kicker is that all the agendas in this deck are excellent once scored and feed back into the deck's momentum towards a win. Hostile Takeover is money and fodder for Archer. False Lead can prevent the runner drawing cards and clearing tags after hitting Snare. Geothermal fracking is two huge paydays, and Project Atlas is, well, perhaps the best card in the deck, as if you can force it through over-advance, which you always try to do, it's either SEA Source plus Scorched Earth, or Hostile Takeover times two, or Power Shutdown, or Money, whatever you need. This all puts the runner into a terrible position. They have to move fast, because supermodernism is scoring agendas and isn't about to stop. But if they aren't careful, they'll face plant into an archer or snare, 
or leave themselves with too few cards in hand and get nailed by scorched earth. Run too slowly and the corpse scores out. Run quickly and you die. Those are all the strengths of the deck, but it also has a couple of key weaknesses. Firstly, if I had to describe this deck as an animal, I think it's probably a bull. Quick, powerful, and dangerous describes an angry bull very well. But like a bull, it often lacks stamina. And if it fails to get out to seven agenda points, or fails to gore the runner with scorched earth, then it can become helpless. Once the runner is equipped with a full rig, once they can break your ice and aren't scared of Archer, there are precious few tricks that can surprise the runner and turn things around. With your bull reduced to a breathless standstill, the runner can close in and pick you off at will. The second weakness of this deck is variance. In the pursuit of speed and power, the deck takes a calculated risk and plays Anonymous Tip instead of Jackson Howard. The advantages are all about speed. In one click, you see two extra cards, which with, which with Jackson would take several clicks and a remote server. Those clicks can be the difference between drawing, then install advancing in agenda, or having it sit in hand and doing everything a turn more slowly. It sounds good, but in going for speed, the deck lives without the release valve of Jackson Howard for those occasions where it finds itself flooded with agendas and unable to get them scored. When your hand is good, Anonymous Tip is great. In those games where your opening hand was three agendas and no ice, you really want Jackson Howard like no other card in the game. I had personal experience of this in the final of the store championships, where Anonymous Tip cost me the title. I mulliganed my initial hand, receiving a hand of Enigma, Hedge Fund, Hostile Takeover, Geothermal Fracking, and Anonymous Tip. That wasn't too bad. Two agendas, but economy and a playable ice. My first draw, however, was government contracts. I drew a card to look for more ice, drawing false beanstalk royalties, then played Hedge Fund and protected HQ with Enigma. I don't know what he means by false beanstalk royalties. Maybe he just meant false lead and typed beanstalk royalties. I don't know. That seems like an error. So he drew either false lead or beanstalk royalties, one of the two, then played hedge fund and protected HQ with Enigma. On my second turn, I pumped a ton anonymous tip and drew two more agendas and the ice wall. That gave me ice for a remote, but I was now flooded with five of my 12 agendas. Instead of helping me escape my problems, the anonymous tip made things worse. Replace it with Jackson Howard in that scenario, and I've got a release valve that shuffles four of those agendas back into HQ, and, well, three, right? And we have a game on our hands. Anonymous tip, tip is in the deck for a reason, but not playing Jackson Howard will cost you games at some point. It's just a matter of when. Variants. All four of my team played Supermodernism at the store championships with two clear variants appearing among us. Two of us, myself included, opted for the card draw of green level clearance and anonymous tip, while the other two players took a more measured approach and spent their influence on aggressive secretary with restructure for the economy. This is a really interesting shift between the two versions that takes us back to the three phases of Netrunner I talked about a while back. Supermodernism is a deck that lives entirely within that second phase, closing the door on phase one with cheap ice, then hoping Archer and Grimm can keep phase three at bay long enough to win the game. 
Uh, as a reminder, these three phases are phase one, the runner can get in somewhere. Phase two, the runner is forced to go find breakers to be able to get in. Phase three, the runner has breakers and enough money and it can again get in wherever they want. With green level clearance and anonymous tip, the deck waits towards that early rush. It's do or die, just be too quick and too strong. When you take that card draw out for aggressive secretary, you lose that momentum in the early stage and are more likely to find yourself playing in phase three. But what you gain is a couple of reset switches that can kick the runner back out into phase two. Again, aggressive secretary, trashing programs. Is one version stronger than the other? Well, I played the card draw and did well with it, which is the choice of the deck's designer, but they're both tempting options. And if I had the space and influence, I would probably play both. Aside from the main variant we came up with that used aggressive secretary, there are a few card choices to talk through. Corporate Troubleshooter. This card game, this card game, this card came from a version played by Kiv6 from the BGG forums, which is also where we first saw the aggressive secretary. The idea of corporate troubleshooter is that it means you can guarantee hitting with Archer if you're prepared to stick enough credits into the troubleshooter and raise Archer's strength. Of all the cards, though, we felt this was most situational. It's only good when you've got an Archer, unresed, over a server the runner wants to get into, and lots of credits. Worse, because it's the only upgrade in the deck, a runner who knows you might play it can predict with great accuracy that your agenda upgrade server is featuring a troubleshooter, so there's little surprise value. The Cleaners, which is coming in the next pack, the second pack, is a 5-3 that whenever you do meat damage, you do an extra meat damage. Reboot changes that to an extra two meat damage. In option to government contracts, the Cleaners helps your Scorched Earths to pound through Plascrete Carapace. Suddenly, SEA Scorch Scorch does 10 damage, or again, uh, 12 in reboot, which is more than a runner with Plascrete Carapace and five cards in hand can survive. Sounds great. So why didn't I play it? Well, half the team did take the cleaners to Stoke, just on the off chance it made a difference. I switched to government contracts on the day of the tournament after 30 or 40 games of playing the cleaners and it only making a difference once. The problem with the cleaners is that when you score your 5-3, you're usually quite close to winning on agenda points anyway especially if you then score a Project Atlas with two counters so you can go find your lethal Double Scorch combo. The difference between the two cards is personal taste, I think. But in my experience, the government contracts, contracts helped more in one day than the cleaners have helped in a month of testing. Caduceus Caduceus is an amazing piece of Wayland Ice, and it's great early game ETR, so why isn't it in the deck? There's a couple of reasons why it doesn't quite fit. Firstly, you use a lot of bad publicity, and that quickly wipes out the trace value of Caduceus. And secondly, with a bank of five destroyer sentries, you don't want to force the runner to install a sentry breaker before you spring your surprise destroyer. The card in Caduceus slot is probably Chimera, which is an excellent choice for temporarily holding the runner away from a remote server long enough to score a big agenda. Jackson Howard I've already touched on this above. If you are running with Anonymous Tip instead of Jackson Howard, then you are playing hardcore mode. Understand and accept the risk. 
If you're not comfortable with it, then play Jackson Howard. Jackson is a great card that shores up a key weakness in the deck. If you are running without Jackson Howard, make sure you are doing so in full knowledge of the possible consequences. The tip will help you to win games, but the absence of Jackson will mean you lose a game at some point. And Punitive Counter-Strike, which comes in the fourth pack, it does is a Trace 5 that does meet damage equal to Agenda Points just stolen. Why are you not playing more meat damage to support Scorched Earth? Well, because Punitive Counter-Strike rarely actually helps you to kill the opponent, assuming they've got a Plascrete. You don't have the four clicks to play SEA Scorch Scorch Counter-Strike, so you can still not do more than eight meat damage in a turn. If you Counter-Strike ahead of the killing turn, you may remove two counters from Plascrete, but a good runner will simply take the damage and leave his carapace intact. Final word. My experience is that this deck is very strong and very competitive, but if anything, it has become a victim of its own success. The more it wins, the more publicity it gets, and the more runners learn about it and how to beat it. In my seven games in the store championships, I only flatlined one opponent because everyone else knew exactly how to avoid getting killed. I still won, which is a testament to how good the deck is at bullying its way to seven agenda points. But I had to work really hard for every single one of my wins. And my teammates were not so lucky, struggling to put much of a winning run together with the deck. Supermodernism is very good against weak players who simply cannot cope with the speed of the rush and will make mistakes allowing you to flatline them. Against the best players, you have to pretty much forget the flatline kill and play for 7 AP right from the start. The deck definitely has the chops to win games against strong players who know it well because it can be too strong and too quick, but those wins are hard to come by. As we go through the store championship season, I expect to see most experienced runners get to grips with how to balance the required pressure and restraint needed to tire this bull out. But if you know your local store championship crowd will fall for the flatline, then I can heartily recommend Supermodernism as an excellent deck. The Toolbox, Part 2. So, let's come back around full circle, because this is the Reboot Project. And there is a supermodernism pre-constructed deck. It is Yolo Grendel. So what are the differences between the version 2 of supermodernism and the Grendel precon? Well, obviously the existence of Grendel is one of the changes. Uh, we'll get to that in a couple of months. Otherwise, the differences uh, go like this, and there are quite a few. There's one fewer agenda, so down to 11. Three posted bounty are added back in because, of course, now in Reboot, it's a 3-2. The 5-3 is now Global Food Initiative, and that's because it is worth only two points to a runner. And then Oaktown Renovation takes the spot of the other, or takes one of those geothermal fracking spots. Uh, it's a 4-2 that as you advance it, face up, it provides money. The agendas that went away are the two false lead 
the government contracts, and the three geothermal fracking. For operations, the green level clearance and anonymous tip go away, as does one of the SEA source. Instead, you get three restructure, which is a card that, let's see, what is it? So Beanstalk is pay zero, get three. Hedge fund is pay five, get nine. Restructure is pay 10, get 15. So you clear five credits and you can do that more easily with Grendel because Grendel starts with more money and a bad publicity. You get to fast track, which kind of, I think, take the place of all the card draw because you are going to, what they can do is they can immediately search for an agenda and pull it into your hand. So it's always right there at hand. And then there's one more power shutdown added. Meanwhile, there's one additional ice, I'm going to say, as a result of there being less card draw, but one less barrier, also one less chimera, and one additional sentry, two additional code gates. So the change in barriers, you lose two wall of static and replace it with a firewall, which is a stronger bastion that comes along later. The added code gates are a lotus field, which is an end the run that resists parasite, and a quandary, which is just super cheap. And then you give up an archer and add in two guard, which is an end the run sentry that resists inside job. With every pre-constructed deck, there is just kind of like a brief suggestion on how to run the deck, and here is what that reads. Don't defend centrals at all. Rush hard and scorch the runner if they aren't careful. Use power shutdown to punish corner cutting. Big tip, be fearless with power shutdown. If you need to trash four cards to blow up a Gordian blade, it's worth it. Your number one priority is keeping your remote active. So we'll talk about power shutdown more when it arrives in a little while. Research Station. Have you not heard enough yet about supermodernism? Well, maybe you'd like to listen to an entire additional hour of podcast content from closer to the time, uh, more like the time when that uh, David Sutcliffe article came out, from closer to that time. If so, then I will provide a link in the show notes to run last click what in my opinion, probably the best Netrunner podcast. It was one of the longer-running uh, podcasts. On episode 14 of their show, they devoted the entire episode to discussing supermodernism. Maybe not quite in the same detail, but there are definitely some interesting comments on piloting suggestions, and, and they pull from some of the same sources that I was, too. But it's a conversation between three people who were actually had spent some time more recently playing it. So uh, that's something else to check out if you're interested. And many of the cards discussed in this week's episode are linked in the show notes. Music is from Alexi Action. Our website is netrunner2.1.com, numeral two, numeral one. Point is spelled out, though. Head to the Reboot Discord server to find some games or go on to retechie.fun and 
make your own game and hope somebody shows up. If you want to contact me, the contact ways are in the show notes. The easiest way is just come find me in the Discord. For the AstroScript pilot program this time around, well, we're finally going to get to the flavor insert from Opening Moves, which is a couple of press releases from the corporations. Uh, there will be no show, no show next week. I'm going on vacation. So in a couple of weeks, I will be back to jump into Second Thoughts, the second data pack from the second cycle. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Wayland Consortium, Moving Upwards, Press Release, Rogue Bioroid Murders Employee. Last night, an Eric model Bioroid broke into the lab of Gregory Phillips and murdered him, then destroyed the lab itself. We offer our heartfelt condolences to the family and friends of Gregory Phillips. Phillips was a valuable part of the Wayland Consortium family and those responsible for this terrible act will be brought to justice. Phillips, 39, was a senior scientist at Stratacorp and was working on ocean preservation. His loss will be deeply felt by all who carry on his noble work. He was tireless, said Don Hu, his colleague of over ten years. He was a joy to work with. The Eric 3M4D8N Bioroid is currently being detained by the NAPD. The model was programmed to do routine janitorial work and comes with Haas Bioroid's highest security seal. Strata records show that maintenance of the model exceeded the standards of the Android Control Act. The Wayland Consortium has taken all Eric models off of active duty until further notice and redoubled security worldwide. We will review all security and safety protocols, said Henry Gale, VP of Personal Safety. This will not happen again. Wayland Consortium is already cooperating with the authorities to aid in the investigation of this terrible crime. We hope that Haas Bioroid will implement tighter controls on its more advanced products and that the NAPD will hold responsible those who are to blame for this unfortunate incident. Haas Bioroid. Effective. Reliable. Humane. For immediate release. Terrorists attack Strata. Bioroid unfairly blamed for murder. 1400, Thursday the 23rd. Haas Bioroid deeply regrets the death of the Stratacorp geologist, Dr. Gregory Phillips, but would like to assure the public that its bioroids are completely safe. Dr. Phillips was murdered in cold blood, not by a bioroid, but by radicals associated with human first. Haas Bioroid has turned all evidence of its investigation over to the NAPD. The Eric model bioroid is incapable of violence, said Evie Anderson, 
head of product development at Haas Silicon Lab. This was an act of terror. All evaluations of the Eric line have exceeded legal safety standards as set by the AEHAA. Haas Bioroid's proprietary security protocols are the industry standard, and its Bioroids are employed worldwide by thousands of companies. Commissioner Dawn of the NAPD vowed to bring those responsible to justice and reaffirmed the government's commitment to using Bioroids in law enforcement roles. This is a tragedy, she told reporters early this morning, but we stand behind all those who wear the NAPD badge. It should be noted that any tampering, including adding aftermarket modifications, is illegal, as well as a clear violation of all warranties, terms of service, and end-user agreements. Haas Bioroid is committed to improving the lives of individuals and creating a safer world.